Welcome to another episode of the Business of Cyber. I'm your host, Joe Vink. On today's show, we have Adam Cummings. Adam is a good friend and currently runs third-party risk at the global technology giant Intuit. Prior to that, Adam was a consultant at MindPoint, part of the security leadership team at PNC Bank, and faculty member at the legendary graduate engineering program at Carnegie Mellon. If that wasn't enough, he served in both the U.S. Marine Corps and the Peace Corps. So really a great interview today with Adam's expertise, of course, in cybersecurity, but uh, sort of more interestingly and where we spend the majority of our discussion in sort of the political and and cultural side of managing a security team too. So great episode. Um, But before we do get into it, uh, just to remind the audience, we do have an offer for all of our listeners uh, to receive each book that we've discussed and will discuss in the first 10 episodes of the show. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show, and then send me a message uh, with your username so I can keep track. You can reach me on LinkedIn at Joe Vink, uh, via email at joe at businessofcyber.com, or on Instagram at businessofcyber. All the links to uh, all my profiles are in the show notes, so feel free to uh, scroll down and uh, send me a message, and the winner will be announced after the 10th episode. So. That is uh, enough for me. Thanks for checking out the show. And uh, now into our episode with Adam Cummings. Well, the party is off to a good start. All right, Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Certainly. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, of course. Well, as a way of uh, kicking us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the world of cybersecurity? Sure. So my name is Adam Cummings. Um, I currently work for Intuit, um, though I'm here today just sort of as Adam, not a representative of Intuit. Just uh, want to have this conversation and express some some ideas about uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, I got here in a pretty roundabout way, and if I can sort of <laughs> potentially illustrate that, um, I was in the Marine Corps and the Peace Corps, which sort of goes to show I um, have had a, a bit of an eclectic background. And But I did land in cyber, at least partly because of the Marine Corps. Um, I had a, a period of time where I was waiting for some training to start. And they said, why don't you go up to headquarters Marine Corps near the Pentagon? And we have this information assurance office that they could use a lieutenant to do I don't know what, like I was, I was essentially being stashed because they don't know what to do with young second lieutenants who don't know anything for three months. So they sent me up to headquarters Marine Corps. I worked in this information assurance office. And of course, the first thing I do is say, what even is information assurance? Um, and so it was effectively the sort of policy arm of the Marine Corps to figure out um, what we do for, for cybersecurity, though we kind of didn't call it that at the time. Um, it was effectively protecting information. And so it was an exposure to information assurance. And then I did some of that while I was active duty in the Marine Corps. I was a communication officer and did a whole host of other things. Um, in the Peace Corps, I happened to do sort of IT education. But at some point, I realized I needed some more formal education. This had piqued my interest. Um, I realized it was an, an area that was growing uh, in business. Um, and I, and I, saw, I saw it as an opportunity, and it was an area I enjoyed. And so I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon and getting that sort of formal education in information security. And that's where it's led me uh, ever since for the past uh, 12 or so years. So, 
Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your career. I mean, I know Carnegie Mellon sort of one of the preeminent like engineering and, and cyber programs, but you know, after getting that uh, sort of foundational education that you realized you, you wanted in the Marine Corps, um, how did that sort of progress into uh, your actual career and sort of day-to-day -day life in, in cyber? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was fortunate enough to work for the Software Engineering Institute after, um, after completing grad school at, at Carnegie Mellon. So I effectively walked across the street to go to, go to my job after I graduated. Um, and it was an amazing opportunity because I was working in sort of a research and development capacity, doing research on insider threat, um, fraud, um, cybersecurity assessments, control effectiveness, and so on. And it was, a, it was an amazing opportunity, terrific colleagues, but it was an, at an interesting time in my career. In other words, there were a lot of folks who had spent 10, 15, 20 years in industry, be it private or public industry, and then were coming to Carnegie Mellon and SCI, uh, the CERT program specifically, to be able to sort of take what they learned out in the industry and apply it and create models and create you know, uh, maturity models and, and, and other products that were meant to help industry and do help industry. And so it was an interesting time in my career to be around those people. And I learned a ton and I loved it. But after four years there, I recognized I kind of needed to get some of that um, boots on the ground experience uh, in information security. I had military experience, but I kind of needed, um, I, I felt different experiences. So for the next probably six years, give or take, um, I spent time in the financial industry working for financial institutions. And then as a consultant, uh, doing consulting primarily in the financial industry, though not entirely, uh, which eventually brought me to uh, to Intuit. Uh, being a fintech company and a software company, uh, it was a good sort of confluence of some background and experiences I'd had in uh, Carnegie Mellon and and private industry. Industry, okay. And I mean, I imagine that transition has been um, fairly advanced, right? When you think about going from sort of an educational background into financial services, into consulting primarily with financial services, and now with Intuit, one of the, you know, sort of largest and, and most well-known and respected technology companies. Um, how have you sort of managed and, and maybe noticed the difference of even the perception of cybersecurity at a big financial institution uh, compared to even, uh, even a, a company like Intuit? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I think at the end of the day, the fundamentals of cybersecurity don't really change, right? Be it Department of Defense or a bank or a software company, access management is a problem. Risk management is a problem. And I think fundamentally, when you break down the sources of those problems, the solutions to those problems, they're not terribly different. It really becomes a problem of scope and scale and, and how do we solve this problem within the confines? So if it's Department of Defense, you know, you're working with or, or, or part of a large branch of the, of, of the U.S. government, um, even civilian branch, you say, well, whatever solution we come up with needs to be able to scale. It needs to be able to fit within the confines of their sort of operating environment. And when you go to a bank, it ends up being all about, well, we, whatever we do to solve this problem, this fundamental cybersecurity problem, it needs to fit within the confines of the regulatory landscape and the regulators need to feel comfortable with what we're doing. And it needs to be able to support our customers and our products. And so it's almost like you're, you're taking the same core problems in cybersecurity and you're just saying, what is unique about this environment that I need to solve for that's any different than anywhere else? But in many ways, I feel like the problems are still the same. Got it. Okay. 
I mean, so how, how do you advise sort of, I mean, maybe would you even advise different companies differently? Let's say if you're a large financial institution compared to a large or even like medium-sized technology company, would your advice be much different for how you approach the challenge of, of cybersecurity? It might. Uh, it might in the sense that, I mean, just off the cuff, let's say, you know, medium-sized software company versus a bank. I know right away that the bank, uh, almost of any size, is going to be sort of slower moving and they have to be, right? They can't make sudden movements. They can't sort of switch technologies on a dime. They can't take um, a risk management platform and all of a sudden uh, completely change it. Uh, it would sort of, like I said, upset, upset the sort of regulatory environment. Um, it might affect the business units that are relying on that. Um, whereas a software company and, and, and other types of industries, it's often about being sort of quick to market. When we have a solution that we think um, fits in the marketplace, and we need to get that out to the market, but we need to do so in a secure manner. We need to still protect our data and protect our customers, but we may not be uh, have the same limitations that are imposed upon banks in terms of that regulatory environment. Not to suggest that's everything that drives banks, but it's a big piece of it. Uh, I myself have not spent time in healthcare, but it's another highly regulated industry, and I suspect it's it's much the same, that any solution they come up with has to have um, the sort of security and privacy of, of that data and, and compliance to HIPAA first and foremost in their mind. And if that means that time to market suffers, so be it. Got it. Yeah, that's, I know we're going to go a little off schedule there, but that's, that's an interesting thought I kind of want to dig into a bit. Like, you know, it's kind of hot right now to debate uh, the difference between a compliance-based approach or regulator, a regulatory-based approach and a risk-based approach. You know, proponents of a risk-based approach would say compliance is simply checking the boxes, but there are a lot of boxes that you have to check, right? Your business operation depends on it. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on the uh, proverbial debates, or maybe it's a hybrid or sort of marriage of a risk-based approach uh, with a compliance-based approach. Right. Well, no, it's a good question. And one that I've sort of wrestled with, I think at the most basic level, Compliance is either on or off. We are either compliant with this or we're not, right? Granted, there's shades of gray within that. In other words, you can say, here's a control that you have to comply with, and it's up to that auditor or assessor or whomever to say, okay, I'm presented you know, a stack of evidence to support compliance with that control. Maybe I think it could be a little bit better, but I'm still gonna mark it as compliant, right? Or maybe I, maybe the shades of gray are in the sense of, well, I'm going to mark this as a, an issue, but not a finding so that it um, needs to be addressed, but not right away, or it's not going to hinder me saying you are certified according to this standard. Um, but yes, that, that does become very um, check the box in the sense that you're like, the standard is what it is. If there's 10 or 100 controls, I have to check each of those. And yet the, the entity being assessed could turn around and say, yeah, but eight of those controls are completely irrelevant to our environment. We don't have SCADA systems, so why are you asking me about industrial control systems and their controls? It's not applicable. And then that becomes sort of that debate of, well, it's in the standard, so I've got to assess it. Um, so there can be that sort of rigidity to, to yeah. a compliance mindset. Um, I think the, the goal should be, and I happen to sort of endorse more of a risk-based mindset uh, in a broader sense. I mean, I feel like that can drive business outcomes and business decisions a lot better and a lot more effectively than a compliance base. But if you have to comply, then you have to comply. But I would say that when it seems to work best is when 
you have no choice but to comply with a given standard or, or guidelines, but you can use that to drive improvement, to say, the fact is we have to, to show evidence to support this, but why don't we create uh, a system, a, a process, a program, a you name it, that will provide evidence for compliance with this, but it's something that helps us anyway. And so if it can end up being one of those kill two birds with one stone, um, then it kind of meets uh, a lot of needs. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting and kind of plays into um, the the observation and, and the thought of, you know, how does a security team communicate with their business regarding the difference in approach between a compliance-based and a risk-based approach? Because, you know, if I'm a business person, right, and, and a security person comes to me and says, hey, we need to do A, B, and C because that regulator is telling us we need to, right? Security just becomes the people who tell me we need to spend money because we have to, right? Rather than uh, something that's driving a business outcome or a decision. So I'm curious, like, what's your advice into approaching those things that are necessary, right? Like a compliance-based thing. How do you communicate that to your business people, your business peers in a way that isn't just, hey, it's a mandate, here, you send me a, a blank check. Right. Now that is tough. Um, and I will say in, in the financial industry, um, you, you usually don't get a lot of people questioning whether or not we have to comply. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, um, here is uh, this thing that the OCC or the FRB or, or whomever um, said we have to comply with. Well, there's, there's generally not a lot of argument there. Um, I think though the argument often becomes a, a matter of interpretation. Oh, the regulation says we have to do this. I, sus you know, I believe we need to do this. And the business person comes back and says, well, if you do that, X is going to happen. It's going to harm us in some way, or it's going to slow us down or, or what have you. Um, then it becomes, uh, well, can we meet in the middle? And can we present this to the regulators at some point to see if it passes muster in, in their eyes? Um, but I think, it, I think it comes down to you as the security professional, provided you're sort of either arm in arm, if not the person responsible for this, this particular piece of compliance. Because I have seen cyber and compliance be kind of two peas in a pod or sometimes completely separate. Um, but let's say that you, you are the one in charge of uh, insisting that this uh, entity, this thing, this product uh, comply with regulation or guidance. Um, again, I feel like you could express it. I would fall back on expressing it in terms of risk. Say, yes, we have to comply with this. Um, and that's just simply a, a, a rule or, or a thing we can't get around. So let's acknowledge that off the bat. But oh, by the way, if we apply it in this manner, let me show you how I believe it reduces our risk, how it protects you, how it stops our customers from being harmed. So when you're expressing it in terms of solely, we have to comply, take your medicine, do this, it's good for you. There can be that sense of, yeah, but I don't want to. Yeah, but that's stupid. Yes, but I don't, I don't think that's the most effective medicine. Instead if it's, well, we have to take some medicine but let me give you three options. And I think option number three is the best. And here's why I think it's the best, but I think option two is feasible and, and you're advocating option one, but here's why I think that's not a good choice. And I want to sort of keep you the, the proverbial sort of keep you out of jail. I want to keep you from getting in trouble here. I think it reduces risk to our customers or our products or what have you. And so I prefer that we, we go with option two or three. Got it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's about providing options and, and also communicating in a way where it's also um, 
you know, it's not just something that needs to be done. It's something that needs to be done and is going to help them and whether it's risk reduction or improving a business efficiency or whatever that is. So that's great. Um, yeah, I'm curious when you reflect back on your career experience, right. And working with, uh, you know, many financial services firms either directly or with your consulting experience and, and now at Intuit, um, I'm curious, like what examples you can share or any stories about, you know, maybe moments where you reflected and thought, you know what, we're working really, really tightly with our business peers right now. Um, does anything come to mind with, uh, you know, from that perspective? Yeah, it does. And this is sort of, uh, the, the story that I'll sort of put together here is a bit of a piecework or patchwork quilt of, of some experiences from a lot of different places. Um, and I think most of the listeners to this or those watching would be familiar with the concept of a, of a BISO or, or business information security officer. Essentially the idea that you have somebody who's um, the fact that they understand cyber, but they're placed in the business. And so I've seen it work in a few different ways, sort of a centralized approach and a decentralized approach. And I'm not advocating one or the other. That's not sort of where I'm going with this. But it does need to be an agreed upon, um, I'll say, approach between the two to say, because I've seen it where they were decentralized and therefore sort of solely embedded in that, that business unit. And it became a little bit of, um, they went native, so to speak, right? They were so far removed from cybersecurity and they were so invested in the outcomes of the business that they were there to just like barely scratch the surface of, uh, surface of those cyber needs, if you will, right? And then I, I've seen it work the other way where they, they were, it was a centralized model and that can have its, its downsides too. Now you've got that, that feeling of being adversaries with the business unit, right? That yes, I'm your business information security officer, but you're not doing what I'm telling you. And so I'm gonna call attention to that. I'm gonna have dashboards or metrics that are red because you're not doing what I'm telling you to and, and you don't get it. And so where I have seen it work well um, is just to make sure that there were clear expectations and outcomes and sort of shared objectives. Like the idea that um, to sort of go back to the idea of compliance versus risk, like the outcome here is not um, an audit with flying colors. The outcome is that we are compliant with the following, you know, uh, regulation, which does in effect did the following things that can help our bottom line. That if you can express it in sort of mutual or shared outcomes, in my humble opinion, I think that probably needs to be risk, either reduction of risk or identification of risk, so that you say, um, no, we're not the same as a profit center that's going to make you money, but I can show you where what we've done here um, and why complying with this, let's say it's a reduction of vulnerabilities in, in software or something of that sort. You say, I can show you why that saves you time, it saves your engineers time, um, it saved our company time, and it's protected our customers. It's like, yes, it met the compliance objective, but it also was meeting your business objectives. So when, I, when I've seen it work successfully, it was sort of a, a win for both parties. Awesome, yeah, that's a, that's a useful example as I think there's, you know, there's quite a few organizations that have functions and, and roles like that, but at the same time, there's, there's plenty that don't, right? So those who have sort of felt that as a challenge or a pain point, that's uh, I think a useful way of maybe organizing their team and therefore their influence within the business. So that's a, that's mm -hmm. a cool example. Um, all right. Well, I know we just got a couple of minutes left, so we will uh, we'll move into uh, the rapid fire round. Basically, how this works: I ask you one quick question, you respond whatever comes to your mind right away. Sound good? All right. What book are you reading right now? Ah, uh, um, let's see. I've got a couple. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and look over at my shelf. <laughs> um, 
Let's see. Measure what matters. Um, that's over there. And I was looking at that last week. Cool. So when you reflect on your, uh, your information security career, who's been the, uh, the biggest influence on it? Wow. Good question. Um, let's see. I can think of a few. I can think of, of one individual. Um, I'm not going to name him by name, but it was somebody who was um, sort of a senior executive, but someone who did the best job I've ever seen at what you described, which was balancing that business in cyber. He was a technologist, but he got it. And, and it was for the first time I saw someone that could sort of play well in both rooms, could, could speak to the technologists and understand the challenges they faced, but could turn around and sort of make both sides come to the table and, and meet in the middle. So That's awesome. And it plays perfectly into the last rapid fire question, which is uh, you wake up tomorrow, you become the CEO of your company, whether it's Intuit or another fictional company as the example. What do you do? How do you operate to get business and cyber working well together? Got it. Um, let's see. I would do an offsite in Hawaii because that sounds <laughs> nice. Always a good um, first step. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would disarm everyone, right? We'd be wearing Hawaiian shirts and drinking right. Mai Tais. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I feel like to, and I know off sites can get sort of a bad rap, but I guess the point is that I would bring sort of leaders together and say, you know, sort of have some, let's, let's break bread and let's talk about what problems you're facing and find some common ground here. I think um, there can be a tendency to sort of get in our own bubbles in our own silos. And I think um, when each party understands better what we're actually struggling with. And maybe that's a deep dive on a particular topic, right? So to let a technologist or cyber person present, here's why this vulnerability or the number of vulnerabilities we've had last year are a significant problem. And here's the money it cost us as a company, right? Maybe it gets some, some uh, business unit leaders to, to open their eyes. But then you can have the business, leader, business unit leader say, here's the amount of time my engineers had to, had to spend on all the vulnerabilities you identified. And we both know they weren't all criticals and they all didn't need to be patched in X amount of time. And so to, to try to get sort of both uh, parties to acknowledge each side. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So Adam, that's all the time we got, but uh, I appreciate you joining. This was a lot of fun. My ties on me next time I see you in San Diego and oh, uh, appreciate it. <laughs> all right, Joe. All right. Thanks, Adam. I do have to admit, I'd usually reach for a margarita rather than a Mai Tai, but I think Adam made a compelling argument. So uh, big thanks to Adam for, uh, for joining me on the show. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, we're offering a chance to win each book discussed in the first 10 episodes of The Business of Cyber. Um, all you have to do is leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and then shoot me a message on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email uh, with your username so I can keep track. Winner will be announced uh, after the 10th episode. So thanks for listening.